Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is the weekly X-Men podcast where we normally rank every X-Men story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. And Adam, we're not going to rank every X-Men story from A to Z this week. No, we're not, but we are going to talk about some uh, more recent X-Men stuff with our guest. That's right. You may know him from cleaning up the time stream and getting rid of mutants who aren't from the present in books like Old Man Logan, Extermination, Cable, and the upcoming Uncanny X-Men relaunch and Dead Man Logan. It's Ed Brisson. Ed, how you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And you? I mean, look, I'm, I'm doing. Adam, you doing? <laughs> I'm great. It's very exciting to have you on the show, Ed. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Exciting to be here. That's awesome. Awesome. So we're going to jump right into it. Ed, let's talk about what I think is probably the most most relevant thing that anyone who's listening to our podcast is going to care about. So we're going to start with the hard-hitting questions right up front. All right. All right. I'm prepping myself. Why do you love Glob Herman so much? <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't know what it is. I can't put it into words. I just love the absurdity of him. Like, he's not particularly good for anything like he's not a good fighter um he's not incredibly smart um he doesn't have a lot going for him uh but except for this the sort of sadness about him that i i find really endearing and um and i guess i don't know i just he's just one of those characters that i i uh found really intriguing and really like and he's because he's just such an oddball on the team i I think that's really resonant with a lot of people. I know one, he's got that stunning visual design that I'm sure most artists just absolutely hate, <laughs> but he stands out in a crowd and he's got this aw shucks personality that in stories like, let's say the perfectly titled glob loves man kills really, really shines. And I think, I think there is a bit of like, um, you know, he's not always been cool too. Like he's, he's done some nasty stuff in the past. And I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of like um, sort of really fun, redemptive stuff that you can do with him uh, given his mm-hmm. past and some of the old uh, um, new X-Men stuff. And uh, yeah. And he's just kind of a, like a, a sad dude who just wants to help and, and, uh, and wants to, wants to be the best X-Men possible, I guess. And, <laughs> no. you know, wants to find love too. <laughs> oh, we want him to find love. <laughs> we really do. At some point. At yeah, some not, point. Doesn't have to be soon. I want to um, see him get there for a little bit. But <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Well, we could well, okay. I could definitely talk about Glob Herman for an hour. I'm pretty sure I would have everyone turning off this podcast real quick. So we'll get we'll get to stuff that's actually relevant. Uh Ed, tell us about tell us about your history with X Men. Was they were they a franchise, a book that you, you know, cared about growing up, or were they something that you learn to get into as they became part of your career. No, no, I, I grew up, um, I've been reading the X-Men since sometime in the eighties. I was trying to, um, 
pinpoint exactly when it is. And I can't recall part of the problem for me growing up. Um, a lot of my first comics were bought from used bookstores. So it was through like the, you know, the dime and the quarter bins back then. So there, it was never in order or, um, when they were coming out. So, so my memory of when I actually started following month to month is really foggy, but, um, yeah, it would have been probably around like 83, 84 is when I started to read X-Men. So it's been Thanks. a while. I'm a geezer. Right. I've been around for a bit. I think it's interesting that, um, you know, you're playing around with a lot of time displaced mutants. Um, have you been thinking about X-Men continuity for like your entire life? Has that been something you're obsessive about? Or has that only been because you've been on the books that that started to, um, you know, become your preoccupation it's a bit of both i think like trying to like actually nail down x-men continuity is um is nearly impossible you give yourself a brain aneurysm just trying (laughs) um but it's just it's something that you know um when i was younger i thought about a lot and then just kind of coming up there's like there is a a five-year period where i stopped reading comics i feel like everybody in comics everyone who read comics has that like five-year blackout period yeah. Uh, and um, that's when a lot of like the, the crazy like Age of Apocalypse stuff happened and, and that era. So that's been a lot of stuff that I've been having to go back and reread and re-refresh my, my mind on. But um, yeah, just in terms of continuity. Yeah, I, I really love continuity. I love going back and grabbing things from 20, 30 years ago and, and playing around with them, things that haven't been around for a while. But man, it's really tough. And there's like, you know, there can be like weird one-off issues that you've forgotten about or somehow glossed over that uh, totally throws a monkey wrench into anything you're trying to do. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a tough thing to juggle. It's something I've always, I've heard some creators talk about it as it's another tool in your toolbox, but it's not what you come for. Continuity is something that you can be used, but, you know, for the most part, you're not buying X-Men books every month for, hey, what's the new thing to continuity? You care more about the characters and how the story's developing than how it ties into some weird miniseries from 1994. Sure, absolutely. And I, and I think that, you know, that's definitely right. And you can, um, I think one of the things is is with the continuity being so screwed and so twisted at times is that it does give you freedom to sort of, go off on a tangent and do something completely insane, but like you can go off on a tangent and just kind of do stuff. That's fun. That doesn't necessarily have to affect the entire continuity. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That makes sense. It I, ultimately it's going to, cause somebody's going to read it and, and take it a, a, as Bible and, and it's going to have to happen. But I feel like it, you have a bit more freedom and flexibility with the X-Men to do that sort of stuff. No, that's, that's good. Now, speaking of the X-Men and specifically the stuff you write, you got your, you know, kickoff in the X-Men line, at least through old man, Logan, you picked up uh, where Jeff Lemire's run ended. And the, the interesting thing about that is it's a old man. Logan is Wolverine, but he's not. So from your standpoint, how do you approach writing old man, Logan, that in a way that you wouldn't approach writing, you know, regular 616, you know, vanilla flavored Wolverine. Um, I think that for me, old man, Logan, to my mind is, um, he's got more of a fascination with his, his own mortality. 
And, um, and I think that uh, pushes him in directions that you're not going to get with a regular 616 Wolverine, who is essentially unkillable. Um, and old man Logan initially was meant to be unkillable too, but you know, he's, he's getting older, he's dying. He's becoming, you know, he's becoming like Clint Eastwood and unforgiven. Um, <laughs> he, he's sort of in those, those twilight years. We know, you know, he, he's going to be going on, uh, at, at some point. So I think that there's more, more to play around with there, uh, mm-hmm. that I find interesting and kind of, I would say it's it's depressing. It's just like I like for myself. I like playing around with that that sort of um, uh, like um, sort of emotional story meat, I guess, of uh, of him trying to figure out where he belongs, and and especially now, like one of the things I'm finding just beyond his own mortality is that with Wolverine proper being back, uh, not that you know any of the X Men have actually really. Um, interacted with him uh to date but um i think there is that um like old man logan has taken on the x-men of this uh, of today as his sort of surrogate family these are these are Mm. the people he lost but it's never quite real like it it's they are the same people he he lost but not at the same time so it never feels real and i always sort of compared um uh, um, Logan with his relationship with the X-Men with Wolverine coming back being sort of like Logan was like the stepfather and, and Wolverine's the actual father who's come back and been welcomed back <laughs> into the house and so like where where does Logan belong now um, and the X-Men obviously um, they're always going to welcome him and want him to be there but you know I think he's got this uh real sense of pride that's maybe not going to let him do that i think i think as a follow-up with that in mind is that why you think uh you know dead man logan which is your next project coming up why that's the you know appropriate time to ostensibly you know end old man logan's story that's right and that and we've been building to that for a long time now like even though dead man logan was just announced i think we've been building to that since last september uh, or October, at least in my writing, and, and where the issues that I was writing in September, October came out, I, I, I can't say for certain. But uh, basically, since the second arc, I think that I was working on, we were sort of building towards this, knowing that Wolverine was going to come back, and knowing that we were going to send Logan off. And yeah, so you know, and uh, and then I think there's for us, there's a lot of um, a lot of weirdly, like a lot of freedom in not having to hide the fact that we're doing a series called Dead Man Logan and killing Logan at the end of it, like that he will be dead yeah. at the end of the series. I think it frees <laughs> us up to do a lot of story stuff and not have to worry about hiding stuff from the reader, uh, which I, I've been finding incredibly freeing. Um, in regards to the death of old man Logan, his entry into the 616 is kind of an interesting confluence of other things going on in the Marvel universe. Um, he's brought back from, you know, a story that happened in the Wolverine solo series um by bendis who brought him back during battle worlds then he got his own solo series um how much of a trajectory had that series been committed to when you jumped on board were there things that you were asked to do 
Or did you really have the freedom to take the character from where Lemire had it and bring it all the way to um, Dead Man Logan on your terms in terms of what you wanted to do? Um, yeah, it was pretty open. They weren't, they didn't really um, push any sort of agenda. They just, they offered me the book and asked me what I wanted to do with it. Um, me coming off for the first one, I think there was an editorial uh, note that they really wanted him to fight Maestro. Um, okay. which was great, which I thought was a really interesting pairing. And, uh, so beyond that though, it's been pretty, uh, they've been pretty free in just letting me sort of pitch them stories and, and sort of got it to where, you know, I wanted to take the story. Um, and then although like the, the dead man Logan thing was something that came from marvel they knew they were bringing wolverine back and so it was time to sort of clean house a little bit they don't want two logans running around yeah. which makes a lot of sense at the time i was really bummed out because i was really enjoying writing old man logan wolverine is one mm -hmm. of my favorite characters uh so they were like i think we're gonna kill uh old man logan i was like ah no like i was basically pleading for his life at one point but then you know after i took a day i calmed down it makes a lot of sense i think uh to do this to to sort of move him on. I think he's a character who sort of needs, uh, he needs closure. I think with everything that's happened to him, he needs some sense of closure. Absolutely. Um, speaking of killing off or disposing of characters, there were perhaps plot threads from past writers. Hey, um, Adam, Adam, before, before you say anything <laughs> else, I want to be very clear to any listeners. We're going to be talking about extermination. Uh, by the time you hear this, the first two issues are out we're just we're, there's going to be spoilers for it because we're not going to not talk about it y'all <laughs> if you haven't read it press pause flip open to the comiXology app buy these things read them real quick unpause because you'll be very interested continue adam i'm sorry um so before i ask this i just want to compliment uh we've only read the first two issues um I think they're amazing. I love uh, what Pepe Larraz is doing with the artwork and uh, they're, they're really fun. So I'm assuming you're having a good time making the book. Oh yeah, it's been great. It's been a lot of fun to write. Um, okay. So one of the things that's kind of like fascinated me because I got really back into X-Men with the Bendis run. Same here. Yeah. Extermination is like, I, I'm almost thinking of it as a nail in the coffin of the Bendis era. Um, We've had both Dennis Hopeless and Colin Bunn on the, on the show before. Um, both of them have talked to us about how the ultimate ending for the 05 storyline has changed pretty drastically since the beginning. Um, so I've got kind of two questions here. Um, one is that, did you have to change your story uh, to fit other people's endings? Um, for extermination? Yeah, like uh, how much of this, I, I guess the, the overall question is how much of this is preordained um, from, you know, past writers and how much of this is you saying, here's a problem, I need to fix it and I get I get the reins to do what I want with it. Uh, well, what it was is uh, extermination. I talked about this a bit in, a, I think, the, the back matter of the first issue, but um, like Marvel... Um, I want to say it was the October 2017 retreat that um, they were talking about, you know, they wanted to sort of clean up, you know, with, with um, 
obviously with Logan, they're cleaning that up with some of the duplicates. I think they're, you know, want to get back to like a core X-Men, our core characters. And so it was really just like, how do we do with deal with the, the dupe problem in, in X-Men? And honestly, I think I just said something really cocky during the, the summit. Like, why don't we just kill them? Um, <laughs> which is not, you know, I, I'm not spoiling anything here. This is not necessarily where the, this, the series is headed. Um, but weirdly enough, I had a storyline. Um, maybe now that I'm thinking about it, this, this is a January summit. Uh, regardless, I had a storyline that I wanted to do an old man Logan that was going to be similar, but it was just one of those things that just never fit. Okay. And old man Logan. So it was this sort of idea that I had in my back pocket. Um, and when they were talking about it, I sort of threw this old man Logan idea out. Uh, Axel, who, who was there at the time, uh, was really into it. Uh, I, it was really bare bones from what I recall. I just had like, you know, about 30 seconds worth of talking points on it. And I honestly didn't think it was a thing that was going to happen. Uh, and they called me like, I think about a month later and say, Hey, we're going to do your thing. And I was, I was completely shocked because it's still fairly new, new days for me at, at, at Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't really, there was, there's never been the burden of like, you know, this is what this writer wants you to do. And this is what this writer wants you to do. Um, and and here go write your story you know marvel had some sort of expectations when i was going into it but largely it, it came out of just like um ideas that i pitched them to them and then i uh, they uh, i i went out to marvel and had like a a mini summit where we just talked about extermination what the plans were for that and it largely is unchanged from then like we we kind of can't you know we we developed this sort of solid idea and it's mostly sort of been pushing forward from there. And there, there were things that I thought they would never let me do that they did. So, you know, it's, it's been pretty, pretty freeing. It's been pretty good. That's interesting. We've heard from a wide variety of care, er, creators about both, you know, some of the exact same things you're saying, a lot of the flexibility of, yeah, I pitched them something and they just said, run with it. And then some of the more, you know, editorial mandates, you got to get this in, you got to make this work. So it's interesting, especially with these big event things, how it, how to balance that out. Sure. And there's certainly things like, Hey, we can't forget about blank. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's a, there's a scene that's coming up in, in, um, uh, the fifth issue that was talked about like almost before we started talking about story, just to make sure there are certain things that we, we knew we had to do, but I like, you know, editorial said that, uh, when I was in their meetings, but those were things I was already, you know, cognizant that we would have to uh, tackle and couldn't just sort of drive past without addressing. No, that's good to hear the collaborative side of that. No, it was a lot of fun. And like I said, they let me do some stuff like the, everything that happens with cable. I honestly did not think was going to happen. Yeah. Like, hold well, on. <laughs> I, I think that's, yeah, we've been dancing around it, but yeah, yeah. I mean, the core idea of having uh, spoiler alert, young cable, Teen Cable, as I've been calling him. I don't know how old you consider him. Um, I've been calling back, him Kid Cable in this script. Kid Cable? I, re- <laughs> I refer to him as Kid Cable. Kid Cable like coming back, killing uh, Adult Cable, uh, and then tracking down the O5 uh, to bring them back. I, I'm just in awe of the idea and 
I just, that's the kind of idea that I think might've gotten shot down by editorial. And I love that they're allowing this to just happen. Where did, where did the inspiration for this come from? You know, I honestly don't recall. It was something I was working on. It was, it was one of those things that hit me just before I was going to sleep one night. I remember. And, uh, because I was trying to, you know, I wanted to make it as timey wimey as possible. Like get the, some of the time characters in there. And, um, you know, obviously if, if someone's trying to do something, the time displaced, um, original five and send, you know, whatever they're trying to send it back or whatever they're trying to do, even if they're trying to uh, kill them, it can screw up the whole timeline. Cable's cable's going to get involved. Um, so I had an idea that like cable would get attacked and someone would try and take cable out to stop him from stopping this. And, you know, when I was working on, you know, we've got Ahab in there and I was kind of working through the ideas. I was like, man, what if it's like kid cable? And originally I pitched him. He was like nine. He was like really young with like these big ass guns. He's, he's the hopeless cable from uh, Inferno. He's just a real prick. But uh, no, he, you know, we aged him up a bit. Um, but yeah, I just, it was just one of these things that I thought worked. And, and my rationale behind it is that cable never should have let the original five stay here this long. Right, his whole deal is is cleaning up the timeline and and, and making sure there's no uh, uh, timeline anomalies because people are, are are messing around with stuff. So realistically, he should never have let them stay here this long. So my mentality going into it is is you've got Kid Cable who's like, I don't know, like um, uh, if you've known, uh, you know, many folks have gone into the military or or, or police academy or whatever. Uh, when they like usually when they're in their first year uh you there's a certain personality type who just becomes the most unbearable person on the planet um, <laughs> and, and this is something usually they grow out of but it's just that uh in it's same with like first year students in, in college uh you know sometimes it just all of a sudden they've become a know-it-all and it's the most frustrating thing and i've been there i've been that person um so i just it it I thought it would be really interesting if you have this sort of young cable who's just getting into like who cable will become, you know, he's this Marine type who is, um, who thinks he knows everything and is just a complete asshole about it. And I thought it just, it just, just a dynamic that felt really, really fun and kind of like a nice dark twist on, on cable and not even a dark twist. Yeah. Even just having him be, somewhat teenaged and going after the teenaged 05 just that alone i think changes the dynamic of the story a little bit it's it's really mm-hmm. fun now this is however not the first time that you've gotten a chance to write cable or a cable you did a right. you did a arc on the recent cable series now that's right one of the things that was interesting about that for me at least is that you set that arc was 13 years in the publishing history past. So holy God. Every just for for readers who listeners who have not read that story, it's set in what 2004, I believe. 2004, 2005. I was we were never allowed to say the year. It was just really supposed to be 13 years ago. So X23 is still not talking really. You know, armor is still just brand new. But yeah, in my head, roughly about 2004. Because it feels so specifically. You know, when you think 13 years in the past, you know, Marvel timeline doesn't make sense. It's never going to. Anyone who tries is just 
they're they're going to waste all their time because it's never going to work and that's perfectly fine you know the simpsons timeline doesn't work either no one makes a big fuss out of that (laughs) but the fact that this went 13 years into essentially publishing history past and just said go with it what was your inspiration behind that what made that the story you wanted to tell and have it set at such a weirdly specific time i uh well gideon ended up being the big bad guy in that mm-hmm. and i wanted to set it a decade after he had passed in publishing time anyway because he passed in 94 i believe in the comics and um and there's also like the you know marvel wanted to use a specific era of um these characters and so, you know, which it was, it was actually like a, a full night of sitting down and trying to figure out at one intersection of time is, you know, X-23 still um, in a black costume and not talking. When's armor, you know, still fresh to the X-Men and uh, when does dupe show up and, and when is Shatterstar? <laughs> so like, it was, I won't lie, it was a friggin' nightmare, <laughs> like to do it at first. And then we couldn't like, and there was no way to make all those things line up with Blink also being there, that which is why we had to play around with how we got Blink into the into the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was that was the time period where everything seemed to seem to gel uh, for what what uh, Marvel wanted with those characters. I'm glad that the answer to this essentially is because we just had to make the timeline kind of work. That's yeah, that's basically it. That's a beautiful summation of trying to do a story like that in X-Men. The one big thing that you've got on your plate uh, upcoming, which you know not a ton has been announced about it yet, is the relaunch of Uncanny X-Men that you've got going on with Matt Rosenberg and uh, Kelly Thompson. Then this is a, you know, at right now, a 10-issue miniseries weekly that has just this, apparently this massive cast going on. And you're, you're co-writing that, which, you know, from at least your Marvel stuff is kind of a new situation for you. So what has that, the co-writing process on that been like? It's not been too bad, honestly. Um, the thing is that um, uh, Matt, Kelly, and I are friends. We talk to each other quite frequently, uh, daily, really. Um, I was talking to them just before I hopped on this podcast. Mm-hmm. But uh, <clears throat> so we're kind of already a little bit in sync on on um the kind of um you know just where where we are and stories we want to tell we're like we tell very different stories obviously but you know i think we we understand and appreciate each other's sort of storytelling strengths and and ticks um so what had happened really with that was um we got a call I got a call a while back about doing this and then we found that three of us were working on it together. So the thing where we spent weeks talking uh, online between the three of us uh, and then we gone out to Marvel for a, a few days where we sort of beat out this, this entire 10 issue um, series, you know, based on the things we're talking about. And then we went from there and we spent a, a couple more months sort of breaking it down and really diving into it. Um, the, the, so we have like a pretty good roadmap on where we're going and what, what the story is all about. Um, and the co-writing process has been pretty easy because we beat out those 10 issues 
pretty well over that period of time. So we know kind of what's happening in each issue. And generally sort of the process works that uh, one of us will take that, um, that sort of big hunk of, you know, two or three paragraphs describing, you know, or four paragraphs, whatever, however many paragraphs there are describing the issue uh, and then outline it page by page and, and then send it around. And then we kind of note on it and fix it and smooth it over to where it's a place where we like, we send it off to the editors. They might have notes, you know, we fix it again, send it back. You know, Once it's approved, usually what we do is whoever outlined it, writes six pages, the other two write seven pages, brings us up to our 20. And then we send the script around once it's done and we sort of, um, go over it, smooth it a bit, just to make sure that it feels like, um, like one voice as much as possible. The one thing we didn't want it to feel like patchworky, you know, like it was like, like you could pick out which pages each person wrote. We want it to feel like a unified, uh, story. And it's been pretty good. Like, you know, we've, we've had very few dustups between us. Um, it's been pretty good. Um, have there been any opportunities so far where, you know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that you wanted to sound like one writer because I feel like the three of you have very distinct voices. Um, so I'm really intrigued to see how it all blends together. Have you had moments where, you know, you've kind of read something or or they've read something that you've written and there's been a kind of like red light and they've said, we can't, we get, we got to move in a different direction with this or is everybody pretty much on board for, for what you guys have planned? I think everyone's been pretty much on board. Like, like I said, we, we know where the story is going. We, we really uh, flush it out quite early. So there's not really any surprises. Um, there have been times where like, yeah, we'll flush over some dialogue because, you know, uh, in our one case, you know, like, I don't know, there's one character in uh, I'm losing language. Uh, one of my parts and one of Kelly's parts, um, we had like a weirdly similar joke said by the same character uh, that was okay. just really bizarre. Um, and so those sort of, those are like, but it's all minor stuff. There's nothing really, not been any really big red flags. But again, I think it's because we're constantly communicating with each other. We already know what everyone's doing. And there's, there's very few surprises when the script comes. And when there are surprises, they're usually just pleasant surprises. Like, um, you know, some scenes that, that could have been mundane that actually wind up being quite good. Well, speaking of, I mean, you're saying there's no surprises, but um, you've said in a couple of places that there's going to be multiple quote unquote, holy crap moments and even quote unquote, absolute chaos. There's um, surprises for the reader, just not for us. <laughs> So, um, I guess in terms of thinking about X-Men as a line, um, you know, and marketing it, we're really not that far from the X-Men blue, gold, and red launches. How important do you think this most recent shakeup is, um, of kind of streamlining you, you've been talking about OML going out, um, the O five are, are, are done for here. And you guys are really getting this amazing opportunity to hit a, a, a restart button and take this line in a really cool new direction. Um, do you think that that's important to the line right now? Um, I don't like, I think right now, like, I don't know if it's just cause I'm involved, but it, like the X-Men line feels really exciting to mm-hmm. me right now. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of really, and and the problem is I know what's coming and, and I can't even, I can't talk about it. So like, there's a lot of really exciting stuff in store. Um, 
So I like, does it need it? I don't know. Is it going to be awesome? I do know. Yeah. Yes. It will be awesome. So, um, I don't, I don't know. Do we need even comics? Yes. We do need comics, but you know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, the X-Men for me anyway, are becoming exciting again. I think there's a, there's a period there where they were a little bit, uh, not no, as exciting. I, I think pretty much okay. any, anyone who's read X-Men could describe literally any period of X-Men as not exciting, not for them. Heck, there's a uh, something I, we keep coming back to. There is a letter that Kurt Busick wrote at, that got published at the end of Dark Phoenix Saga saying that that wasn't for me. I'm out. And he's a he's a smart, reasonable uh-huh. dude who's very good at comics. So, you know, not everything's always going to be for everyone. But I I would no, like absolutely. to echo some of the stuff you were saying. Guys, if you aren't reading a bunch of the stuff that's going on in X-Men right now, there's a lot of really good stuff that's happening. You should check it out. And Uncanny looks like it's going to continue that. I hope so. I think I think that there is like a lot of weird cynicism uh, just with comics in general. And, and, you know, anytime that there's a new number one, you know, people get kind of bummed out. Uh, but, you know, I think it's there's some really good stuff coming. And, and you know, I wish I could say uh more about what's coming but you know i think that's people are gonna now nice what would you say to people you know they are you know they're sitting there they've got to buy this all new all different uncanny x-men 10 issue series what would you say to them to sell them on this is a story you need to pick up i think one of the things oh man i'm the worst sales guy um but like, I think that one of the big things about this uncanny is it's going to have ripples that will, um, will be felt for a while. Will f- be felt for for quite some time to come. And I think you know, there's, um, I think that we're doing some like really cool. I don't want to say fan service. I hate saying it like fan service, but I think that we're doing some cool things in there that long term X Men fans are really going to dig, um, while not sort of rehashing i think we're pushing the the x x-men franchise in a really interesting direction Good. that is that's I'm exciting i'm right. in now <laughs> i was already in now we have talked a lot and asked a bunch of questions but you guys had some questions so we uh shot out a uh, request on twitter.com earlier said hey guys ed's gonna be on got questions for you know the you know massive line anchoring events that he's been talking about or whatever and definitely a couple of them came through so this first one here comes from trent seeley at instatrent on twitter who asks you know as the writer who's written cable and killed cable and had cable kill cable how do you see cable what's your you know how do you view him as a character i think he to me is sort of um, man, I, a little bit. If Clint East, Clint Eastwood and the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly was a time traveler, I see him a bit like that. Like he's a guy who's got no place, really. You know, he's from the past. His home was in the future, but he's he's sort of at this point without a home. Um, and it's it's always interesting to me that he's running around trying to fix. Uh, 
you know, fix the timeline, fix it for other people, but it's not really like, you know, every time we see his future, it sucks. Like it's never pleasant. <laughs> so uh, I just feel like he's, he's this guy who's always fighting for something uh, for like almost selflessly because he never really is getting anything from it. Hmm. Is that, uh, that's sort of rambly. Uh, that's great. Late night, but uh, no, that's good. That's, that's what, that's what you guys <laughs> that's, get. That's what we get. Uh, that's what we want. <laughs> uh, friend of the show, genetic ghost on Twitter asks, what made you want to bring the, you know, original X force into extermination but you know as they you know with their current status quo of what they've just been doing for the last how many ever years um because x-force is the dopest team in the x universe <laughs> um and any chance to put them on a on an x book uh i'm gonna leap at and i think uh i think you know one of the things that people ha- ha- keep bringing up is that uh, we haven't seen hope yet um but i think one of the things for me was that uh with what happened to Cable having happened, then it made a lot of sense for X-Force to be there um, to represent themselves. And I think you'll see uh, a reason for that in issue three. That, that's cool. exciting. We are big fans of, I, I guess I am big fans of 90s X-Force around here. So uh, it was <laughs> the best. It's it weird best. how underrated it is because it ends up, you know, it's, it's the, you know, Nisie's uh, Liefeld stuff at the beginning and it does that. And that's what people remember, but then it goes off in totally different directions and continues to be super good for a very long time. Yeah. And I will say like uh Rick Remender's uncanny X-Force is oh, probably one of the dope. best uh, X, X books of, of recent memory. Absolutely. It's fantastic. Near Ravel asked on Twitter at Ravel underscore near, you know, in your cable run, you brought back the externals who are a very 90s plot point. Do you have plans for them or any other forgotten 90s or other era X-Men thing for your uncanny or moving forward? Not off the top of my head, like not not mm-hmm. currently planned. Uh, actually, oh God, <laughs> that's not true. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> Like, you know, I, I say that and then like first issue of Uncanny features some some sort of uh, nods to the 90s. So um, I lied. Yes, I, I do plan on bringing more 90s and, and past era stuff uh, into into present with some of my writing. I think like for me, the 80s and 90s were really like uh, sort of my formative re- years reading comics. And there's so much stuff um back then that uh i think was pretty um inventive but like because the stuff was being churned out so fast that um i think sometimes uh things were sort of prematurely sort of put to bed and 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 not touched again Mm. so every so often if i'm reading old comics and i see something that that tweaks anything um uh inside my brain i'll sometimes just write it down and see about bringing that character back but uh, yeah, there's something coming up in Uncanny that if people are into that era, I think they'll dig. Um, and yeah, there's something else that I'm working on. I realize that deals with the 90s, uh, a 90s crew. And uh, hmm. even actually in Iron Fist, I brought back uh, a character who was like in two issues of, I think, Marvel Comics mm-hmm. Presents back in the 90s. Uh, his name was Decay, <laughs> sort of a, a demon. 
uh, spelled D apostrophe K A Y. That's pretty nineties. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, you know, so the, I, there's a lot of that stuff I do like, I think it's a lot of fun uh, uh, to play around with. And I think that sometimes, you know, we have a vast catalog of, of sort of forgotten characters that uh, are fun to, you know, pull out and dust off once in a while. Nice. Fantastic. I think the last question we've got from Twitter comes from Chris A. Hansen on Twitter, who asks, you know, with, you know, you kind of doing the swan song, so it seems, for the 05, do you have a favorite time-displaced 05 story from, you know, they're now, what, four, six years in the uh, Marvel Universe? Honestly, I think the, like, the original all-new X-Men, that Bendis run, I actually, I, re- I really liked it a lot when when he brought them back. I thought it was a lot of fun. Awesome. And so if I had to pick one, it would probably be that that original. Run. I, yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I know Adam and I both said earlier, that run got us back into X-Men. So it's... Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. I think it reminds you why you love the X-Men initially. Yeah. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, uh, you had Stuart Immerman on art, which wow. is just... Beautiful. Uh, like spectacular just breathtaking um so there's a lot of i think there was a lot of fun really inventive stuff in that original um uh, all new x-men and then the battle for the uh, battle of the atom mm-hmm. um <laughs> thing which sounds very familiar yeah, right? we, we may know uh, about that one <laughs> uh-huh. um i thought that was that was a really good uh, uh event oh cool well, that is that is great. Ed, it has been great talking to you. Why don't you uh, tell the folks, if they're interested in your stuff, where they can uh, find you online? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter, at Ed Brisson. So that's E-D-B-R-I-S-S-O-N. Um, and just at my website, edbrisson.com, if you want to find out like what cons or store signings or whatever I'm going to be doing. Those are the two main places. That is, cool. that is fantastic. Now... Uh, Adam, where can uh, where can people find your stuff? Uh, guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Got new pages of Bish and Jubes Attack on the Mansion every Monday um, at adamrec.tumblr.com and xavierfiles.com. And if you want an issue of the the a copy of the last issue, the search for Bish and Jubes, you can go to adamrec.bigcartel.com and get one for just one dollar. Zach, where can they find you? You can find everything that happens in the Xavier Files Media Empire at xavierfiles.com. That's where we've got this podcast, any articles, the latest and greatest of X-Men news. All that stuff is right there. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Xavier Files. Uh, everything that happens in this entire show this entire media empire happens thanks to the fine folks over on patreon.com slash xavier files if you pitch in at the two dollar month level we will uh, do a regular episode where we rank a bunch of x-men stories all about one of your suggestions so uh, go over there it's a lot of fun uh that pretty much wraps it up i want to say one last time ed thank you so much for being on it was a great uh great time and very much looking forward to some of the new exciting stuff we've got in the pipeline no, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been great. Next week, we have a story all about... Oh, man, we got a whole episode about AVX, don't we, Adam? Oh, boy, got to read that. <laughs> we, we were talking right before this episode. We realized that we have to catch up on 13 issues of that, plus the other two stories we're going to be reading. So, oh. I'm on it. It's okay. It'll, it'll be good. There's, there's going to be a lot of Avengers and a lot of X-Men and just a lot of characters doing a lot of stuff. 
but we will Yay. we will get through that. Until next time, this has been Bal the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!